Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the same you could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know it isn't stuck. It will be hell on the giant today, Russell, said my masseur, as he nursed my legs with his gentle fingers. There has even been a deputation that got a to have the start postponed until later in the day when it may be cooler. It's going to be over 110 degrees again and 110 degrees up there on the giant will be like a furnace. Survive that and nothing can stop you from reaching Paris. His words did not comfort me as I lay on the hard massage table of my hotel room in Marseilles, France. It was Monday, July 18. 1955, my 27th birthday. My celebration would be go out and face the Goliath of Provence, Mount Ventoux, the lost sentinel of the Alps which stands in the middle of the Rhone Plain in the south of France. But unlike David, I would not be alone in my combat, nor would a sling be my weapon for the duel. Instead, I would use a bicycle, 23-pound, of eggshell-thick steel tubing, paper-thin tyres and broad, hard leather saddle. My companions, 95 of them, were the idols of eight European countries, the men of the Tour de France. Beautiful, crystalline Monday morning here in Melbourne. Hardly a cloud in the sky. It is a beautiful day. Many thanks to Democracy Now, Amy Goodman. And you're tuned to 3CR on the tranny, podcasting, streaming. I think there's another way, but I can't remember it at the moment. That lovely quote from the beginning of the show was from Russell Mockridge. His birthday was on Bastille's Day. Sorry, Russell, we've missed your birthday. It's one of those, with Les Darcy, one of those quintessential Australian sporting tragedies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and a lovely words about him meeting Von too. But here in Melbourne, it's lovely and easy. Now, everybody can relax, go back to normal nighttime sleeping, because that prostate-pounding, peddling peloton is Paris parked 
and we'll talk a little bit about that later. And we'll talking about actually burning calories, not coal. How do we stop mining in Australia? How do we stop coal mining? How do we do it on an individual level? We'll be joined by Lenka from Burn Calories Not Coal. Good morning. Hi, how are you going? It's really great to be here. And because I'm sending out a little hello to Faith up in Japan, I know she'll be streaming it. <laughs> Chris is twiddling that I'm mean, in charge of the show today. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, all. Ah, it was. We should, uh, without wanting to touch on, I can see you nearly teary up there, Chris. Oh, Russell really. was. <laughs> oh, that was that was quite lovely. Um, but yeah, we're kind of like post Latour now, and as you were just saying, it was like you know the brutal race. But we also had a course as well. Yeah, and what was is the uh, women's race, and uh, they changed it from the Champs Elysees this year to actually uh, doing uh, mountain climbs. The um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Izzard or the Azard, I should say. Which was amazing and quite good, and uh, there was a bonus uh, unicorn on the climb. So I could go into other detail, but I like to see a unicorn out there because uh, one of the great things about watching things like the tour is the uh, random sort of things on the roadside. Most people do watch for the cycling, but a lot of people watch because of the exquisite scenery and the chateaux and roadside randoms. We should actually, and it's become a, um, it's become a um, lot more colourful and a lot more costumes. And every year it gets actually bigger and bigger. Although people are saying that actually, there's a part of the uh, that quote was from Ru- Russell Mockridge's autobiography, which was published after he died. But he was saying on one of the stages there, he thinks there were probably two million people yep. watching the last hundred meter, hundred yard. Hundred kilometres of the ride, so it's always been enormous. Mm. But um, I've loved the coverage this year; it's been good. I'm not sure about the speaking bits, but anyway. Well, we'll just stay away from the actual um, bits of the tour that I didn't care much for, which is kind of like the domination of a particular team, which you know I'm a little bit over. But these are these things that happened. But it was interesting because you know early on a lot of the big names had gone. It was a bit like that. It was, seemed to be a crash and derby more than anything else, last man standing. And it was good to see just, you know, okay, we can all talk about, um, you know, Bling Matthews and the Australian resurgence. But actually, from a traditionalist perspective, it's good to see the reassurance of, or re, um, thing of the French rider. Because, hello. 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 I know, it's hello. been quite interesting, hasn't it? Oh, God, I was cheering him up that hill, I've got to say. I've got to say. What is their race? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and if your mental image of the personality of a Frenchman, the last when the tour is burning, I know, then you've got a long way to go. Well, that was years to... ago, last time the French actually. <laughs> but it was like, two, yeah, it was two consecutive stage winners, and then one that they always try to do this. They always try to get one on Bastille Day, and they yep. did it. Well, that is it. Lanky, we're just digressing on this. It won't be oh, long. No, 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 no. no. I, I, I like the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should get you to do the commentary next time. Uh, uh, there was enough controversy this year because uh, <laughs> for those of us who've been watching this I've been bought for almost 20 years but the Tour de France in Australia we most people do watch for us SBS Cycling Central and we've had the dogs or tones of Sherwin and Liggett for a long time and we didn't get them this year we got Matt Kerwin and Robbie McEwen and I've got to admit, I learnt more about racecraft this year instead of uh, dry old anecdotes and travelogues. And um, I know there's a controversial perspective, but I like to hear about racecraft and what's actually going on 
in front of me instead of something about anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Look, I can see your point. Yeah. But not being able to pronounce uh, properly the names of French chateaus, probably a little bit beyond the pale, I would have thought. But that's an Australian... <laughs> I mean, Idiosyncratic doing... move. I can't pronounce you? really anything in English. is my first language, so I actually feel at home listening to those two new commentators. Well, there's nothing to stop you jo- getting a job on SBS commentating on oh, the cycling, then, is it? I don't think they'd put up with an old slow in a northern Melbourne Hubbard and, doing that sort of stuff. I, I think part of it is that they've changed commentators from two blokes that have been doing it for years and yeah. years and had their own problems, I've got to say. Yeah. They stood by Lance Armstrong for years. While yes. it, anyway, I'll move on from that a little bit quicker. And Chris is right, it's become much more about the minutiae of team racing, yeah. which, uh, look, I've got to say, parts of the tour, you just you couldn't care about the bike riders, you're just watching. F- up to a point, but then you sort of you want a bit more detail. Yes. About, you know, the yeah. riders and what's going on and... Yep the race itself and parts of the race and watching you know i mean i've only watched parts of it but it seems like a huge like uh, you need to be really fit to run that ride and um yeah it it would be nice to sort of see what challenges are presented at different parts of the ride i guess because it is a very complicated race it isn't like first past the post you've got Different stands for King of the Mountain, the Mallet Jean, the Mallet... Tactics and... The, the Green is a most uh, aggressive rider, uh, under 24, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it, a prize for finishing last. Is there really? I didn't there know is. that. There is. The says me not being able to pronounce a French word. <laughs> After you remonstrating. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not commentating on SBS. No, 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 no. Um, and look, there still is, and there still is the characters in it. We've lost, we lost a few of the characters out of the tour this year. There are mm. a couple of bad boy sprinters and a few, yep. a delicate Australian and a few others that have all fallen by the wayside. And they usually give the character to it. But it's actually who wins it. Mm. And you've got to take... Yeah, um, I don't think he wasn't in his best form the winner this year, but he's won three in a row. Yep. Oh, Only wow. other two two other people have won three consecutive. Um, Luson Bobert, who was a Frenchman, and Miguel Interan were the only mm. three who only two have won three in a row. Plenty have won four, but there've been a break between yeah. them. Because the thing is too about the tour, you also have you know from a from a fan's perspective, you have a hell of a lot of emotional investment, and I kind of detached. Quite a bit, like a lot few other fans did, I think, when Richie Port had his horrific crash. Because I saw that in real time, I'm like, I turned off the TV, no. I didn't want to know anymore because no. it just looked like one of the worst things I'd seen. But luckily, he's all okay. But no. it's one of those things where I have to detach here, and it's a thing about sport, mm. it may be a metaphor for life, and you do get very emotionally um, involved. <laughs> I have not watched that crash. I don't. And I will no. not watch it. No. Anyway, that's part. And it's a little bit, um, we don't need people killing themselves no. on bikes to make it a sport. No. We sure. don't. We well, don't. We're going to uh, have a talk about Russell Mockridge after the break. Or do you want to discuss him now? In what way? <laughs> well, we've discussed him a bit, but I just think yeah. it's just an interesting thing. He was such an Australian all-rounder. Okay, let's, let's go back... Let's come back after a quick break. Yep. We'll do a bit of Russell. We'll touch on riding and bike lanes, bus lanes. It'll improve your health as well. Excellent. Be back in a tick. <laughs> 
Thanks to everyone who participated in our listener survey earlier this year. You provided us with some great insight into what you really love about 3CR and what we could do better. We'll be working towards improving our on-air programming and look forward to your continued involvement. Remember, you can give feedback to the station anytime via our website, Facebook page, or by calling the station and leaving us a message. Thanks for listening. back listening to Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR 855am digital streaming and online and podcasts. I think that's the one. So for, so for people who are not too au fait with Russell Mockridge's um, career, that um, little extract I read was halfway through his finishing the uh, Tour de France in 1955. Okay, so in the, Russell was born in Geelong, showed a lot of um, unique cycling um, ability very early. I think he won three of his first two races or something. He found himself at 17, then getting groomed for the next Olympics, which were uh, London, if I... I always get confused between London and Helsinki. But I, I know, know Helsinki better. came next after London. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the only way I know. Anyway, for somebody so young, he ends up in... Um, he ends up... He doesn't get to London, I don't think. I'm, God, somebody's going to ring up and tear me apart Someone's for screaming this. screaming at the radio right now. Anyway, so <laughs> after that, he went back to um, England and he was a very, a very, very good sprinter and he won a lot of... He rode in a lot of six-day rides, which weren't his specialty but the Omnium and the Pursuit were especially. He won the Amateur and the Professional uh, Sprint in Paris in 1952, I think, which is quite unheard for. They had two different races. He won the uh, Amateur race one day, and next day he beat all the professionals. And this was a race where the sprint races, where you, you tag-team each other around the velodrome and mm. wait for somebody. So here's this bloke who was only 17 or 18 and tactically not as sharp as some of the Europeans. Anyway, he started to make a big name for himself in Europe, got offered a lot of contracts. <clears throat> That's what you... Um, this is 1955. He um, is riding in riding the tour. Before that, he'd gone... He'd won two gold medals at Helsinki. And he was famous for actually in those days the Olympic... Um, the Olympic Board in Australia made you sign a two-year contract to say that after the Games you would not become professional for two years. Russell Mockridge stood up and said he wasn't going to sign it. They were going to throw him off the team. And it wasn't until the last six months, I said, that they changed the contract and he signed it. Mm. Cycling being the only time they were going to make money as soon as they became professional. Anyway, so finished the tour, did very well. He was one of the... Is he the first Australian... Oh, no, Hubert Opperman finished the tour, sorry. Yeah. I, I digress. And Hubert Opperman was one of his mentors and coaches early on, of course. And um, Melbourne Olympic Games and then, tragically, in 1958, Chris, 1959... 1958. 1958 and Clayton. He and two others who were competing in a Victorian Championship... We're going through the intersection of Dandenong Road yep. uh, when a bus cleaned up three of them. Russell died instantly. His young wife and child were in the car behind following the race, so it made it particularly tragic, sort of. Um, it did. And still, people still speak of it, actually, well, in a bit of a hushed tone. 
He was one of probably Australia's greatest all-round cyclists. And just to bring in a little bit of perspective, going back about six years ago when Cadell Evans won the the tour, there was the Welcome Home Cadell parade we had down here in St Kilda Road. And I actually um, met an an older gentleman wearing his wool jersey, which was probably from the 1950s, who spoke effusely about Russell. He was like a hero. It was like if you, you know, the way people think about... um, Michael Matthews and Robbie McEwen and some of the great um, pe- people remember him with so much you know, love and admiration. And he was very much like Cadell. He wasn't... Um, Linger, I'm sorry we're boring no, you no, this no, with no, history. No, no, he wa- he was like Cadell yeah. Evans. He wasn't the typical Australian no, he sporting wasn't. hero out and about. You know, I mean, big, you know, loud, confident and no, wrong. He wasn't. But he was he was quite a shy bloke and he mm. admits himself he, more humble. Mm. He he liked his own company better than most pe- other people's. I mean he was uh very happily married, they had a, one child. Um so but he always right from actually when you read about his uh, even at school, he was one of those people who just seemed to make his mind up about something and just stay on the track. It was um it's a very interesting lesson in one of those um Sportsman, you don't have to be brash, loud, and yeah, with you the don't, fairies. You, sounds like my kind of sportsman. There we go. There we go. Burn calories, not coal. Now, oh. this is an event coming up. Yeah, so it's happening um, next Saturday on the 29th. Uh, we're going to be meeting outside Michael Danby's office in St Kilda. Now, for those of you don't, who don't know, Michael Danby is um, a member of parliament in the Labor Party. Um, now, what we're doing, we're going to have a bike rally through some of the marginal seats. We're going to be riding through um, and basically calling on our members of parliament uh, not to fund the Adani mega coal mine in Queensland. So the Adani mine um, is looking like it's it's going to be going ahead at the moment. It's been given the green light by the federal government. Um, it's been given the green light by the um, Queensland. Queensland Labor government as well. Um, and just to give you a bit of perspective of what this is going to mean, um, the Adani mine will produce 2.3 billion tonnes of coal over its lifetime, and that is the equivalent of 4.7 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Now, we can't be pumping that amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere without it having a negative impact on our environment and on our health. So that's why we've decided um, to run this community event to get people uh, on their bikes to burn some calories and show that we don't need coal. We want to keep fossil fuels in the ground. Um, and we want our governments to invest in a, um, a, a clean energy future where you know renewables make up the bulk of um, you know our energy sources. That's where the jobs are. Um, it's good for the environment. Uh, it's good for the people. Um, and and so that's why we're we're doing this uh, bike ride. It's going to be colourful. Um, we're asking people to dress up as all colours of the coral reef. There we go. Nemo yeah. will be along. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll have a few Nemos and a few other um, nope. sea creatures that might decide to pop along on the day. Um. Yeah, so one of the one of the big things for me, I'm a um, I'm a science student. I'm doing my PhD in um, ocean chemistry, and um, I'm particularly worried about the Great Barrier Reef. We saw the worst coral bleaching event uh, in 2016, um, so just last year, 
And as a result of that bleaching event, we lost 29% of the Great Barrier Reef. What, that, from what section is that? Is that the north or the southern? Well, so the northern part was the worst hit. So north of Port Douglas, actually, about 70% of the reef has died. And then the southern parts weren't as, uh, as affected. But overall, um, about 30% of the reef has been uh, really severely impacted because the thing about this Adani mine is I just can't get over the actual um, environmental degradation, you know, just looking from first principle, not from an ideological perspective, just straight from what stresses the reef is put under, mm. and yet they're still going to keep on, despite the overwhelming evidence, they, st- they still want to push forward with it. Well, I mean, I think it's a the economics doesn't stack up. Um, the environmental impacts of this mine are going to be devastating, the local Indigenous people, the Wangan and the Jagalingo people, have not given their consent for the mine to go ahead. And so you'd have to ask yourself, who and who's benefiting from this? Coal industry. Yeah. Worldwide, so, fossil industry, yeah. ExxonMobil, everybody's, all those old dinosaurs. For sure. And they're driving it through because they've got regulators captured in different parts of the country, yep. just like us. APRA's been taken over in John Howard's uh, reign. Queensland, you're right. Do you know Queensland bought in more money from car registration last year than mining royalties? That's incredible, isn't it? And they're going to have another mine, and they're spending the money on the infrastructure. In the last two years, Queensland have spent something like $2.5 billion on mining infrastructure. Mm. That's doing the ports. That's not owning anything. Yeah and not even getting it back in royalties. Well, the federal government at the moment are considering giving a $1 billion taxpayer-funded subsidy to this mine, um, and that is that is happening like as yeah, we yeah. speak. They're deliberating on whether that's going to happen or not, and the, the federal government are trying to push that through. Uh, and you know why that's, that's the railway money? Yep, that's for the, you know the rail, why? railway money. And that's been farmed off into a different Adani corporation. Mm. You know why? Because they build the railway... They charge the other people in the Galilee Basin to ship the coal down. That's where the profit will be for Adani, just mm. billing other people to ship the coal. Yes, well, I suppose that railway line will open up the Galilee Basin to other other coal projects, and we simply can't have that 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 coal being burned and the, that CO two being in the atmosphere. Like we, God, rent seekers, you got to love it. And yeah. do you know who is the second biggest leaseholder in the Galilee Basin? Gina Reinhardt. I was about Go to say. figure. I was about to say she makes most of her money from um, actual mining licenses, not actually owning or doing uh, anything. But anyway, I could go quite. But mm. back onto the subject of bicycles. Riding and a bicycle protest yes. because it rides from one spot to another, yeah, gathering so steam as it goes along. Starting outside um, Michael Danby's office in St Kilda, so that's one one seven Fitzroy Street. Mm-hmm. So I think um, you. We'll put all these times yeah, and starts on the uh, podcast. So if anyone's interested, we'd love to have you along. Um, anyone can ride any level of fitness. Um, the route's been mapped out, and we uh, did a test ride yesterday, which was heaps of fun. Yep. Um, so we'll be going through St Kilda and then we'll be heading towards Mooney Ponds to finish at Bill Shorten's office. Uh, there we go. So we'll be calling on Bill not to support the mine. Um, we'll be calling on Michael Danby to stand up and s- tell his colleagues that he's not going to support the mine. Um, and basically that's what we're, that's what we're going to be doing, using our bicycles and our bike power um, to try and convince these pollies that they need to change their 
their position. And one way the political landscape has changed a little bit, and we've seen from, say, the Greens spending money in Paran and not spending other places, if you target marginal seats and if you bring in funding and activity, start writing emails to these local members, these are the people who change. Yeah, so if there's anyone who lives in St Kilda or um, that area, if, if there's anyone who lives in Northcote or Brunswick area, um, you can write to your local MPs, your federal ones, and ask them not to support the mine. If you can't make it for the ride on Saturday, um, please write an email, give them a call and uh, just have your voice heard. Well, uh, from the perspective of we, you know, again, I think we said earlier in the show, there is no earth to for us to get more resources and the like out of. And you may be thinking, but why are you looking at this huge, bigger picture outside of riding bicycles? Well, we're facing a massive environmental crisis. Mm. And things that should have been put into action should have happened 30 years ago that we're only starting to consider now. Mm. We changed more and did more about climate change in the 70s under Richard Nixon than we've done ever since. Mm. And people have been screaming about this since... I mean, I'm going to go back now to... There was a conference in Rio in 1980, mm-hmm. which we were a signatory to. This is before Kyoto's changed anything. Like the other thing, I'm, there's a great analogy between having a terrible banking and money transfer system in Africa mm. and them not then building a bricks-and-mortar banking system. All it's done on a mobile phone now. Yeah. Mm. So you've already got something that's much better. The argument that we're stopping poor people in India from having electricity is that we, you'd be better off going to individual village solar panels and whatever than actually getting old technology and ramping it back up again. The idea of bootstrapping is that you actually improve as you go along. Exactly. You don't go backwards. And the price point for renewable technology is dropping is amazing compared to... um, our fossil fuel. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, I mean, the pollution from burning fossil fuels, I mean, people and their um, their lungs, we have to think about that too. Like, well, this is going to be dirty brown <laughs> coal. <laughs> oh, just, just quickly to bring into that, it was with Westgate Tunnel in Melbourne. We're going to be having public hearings about that soon. Uh, I don't know how much bearing it's going to have on it, but quite a bit of uh, submissions were to do with PM 2.5 and particulate pollution, especially for the western suburbs because, again, you're talking about a particular type of campaign that you're doing. This is work with the Franklin um, below, uh, Gordon below Franklin. It worked with East West Link. All power to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having us on the show. And um, hopefully uh, any of your riders, if you'd like to join us. We're a fun group of people and uh, all-inclusive and we'd love to have you. Beautiful. I'll I'll let you into a little secret. Chris and I used to belong to what a friend of mine once called that filthy anarchist cyclist group in Melbourne. I still am a filthy anarchist. So was, it really called, was it really called Filthy Anarchist? No, no, no. no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that is such a great name. I and love it. These were people who didn't get the idea. I'll never forget this bloke. He said, yeah. he said to me, oh, my daughter rides all the time now, but are you still belong to that stupid anarchist, filthy anarchist group? I said, well... Yes, I we, do, and I'm like, proud. Yes, I do, and <laughs> And that's part of the reason why your daughter's riding a bike. <laughs> Speaking of which, look, we're not going to get to it. I'll try and put up some of those things. When we're talking about PM 2.5s, actually, yeah. which introduced to me was something we'll talk about next week, mm. I will put up an interesting link to a article in the New York Times measuring um, 
people's pollution levels as they ride through New York. Where do you get the peaks and the pollution? The idea that you, when you're walking, you probably got a seven litres of uh, air go in and out a minute. When you're riding a bike, that doubles to about 40 or something. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. the whole point of riding in a bus lane behind very polluting vehicles is you can suck more of that crap into your lungs. Oh, but they anyway. stink. I had one in front of me on the way over. It was terrible. <laughs> but you'll be happy to know. And here, I'm here I've, I've got to quote the acting minister for roads. Sorry, Chris, we got time? Yes, yeah, we, we have. Got, we got I've, I've got This is uh, John Rennie, who's the acting minister for roads and road safety. This is the idea of actually you can, as a bicyclist, you can now ride in the bus lane. Yep. Used to John and everybody else. Those signs have been on those bus lanes as long as I've been in Melbourne, as long as there have been bus lanes. Even the old ones have still got a little bus stand still on them. They were always available to cyclists. Yep. But any sensible cyclist wouldn't ride in one. But anyway, his excuse for opening them up was, but safety is our top priority. That's why we're investing in separated cycling paths and updating road rules to move riders away from high-volume traffic areas. These are are common-sense changes aimed at keeping people safe on our roads, putting them next to a car going 60 kilometres, a bus coming out of the traffic at will... I've got a question, and I've been asking it for a while, and so for a few other people. Going back to 2015, there was a thing launched by the Victorian government called Active Transport Victoria that apparently uh. had $100 million in the kitty. This mm. year, uh, looking at the state or Victorian budget, there it is again, carried over. Since 2017, where is this $100 million? Uh, we have local councils that have rates capping and can't put stuff in oh, or yeah, they're, they're yeah. under pressure. Um, Luke Donlan and Mr Wren, uh, where is this $100 million? It's going into a fella way along this Footscray Road. Oh, not Come on. <laughs> That's not fit for purpose. Um, we're off. Chris is up next week. Yep. Um, next up is Jailbreak. And don't forget that all the announcers and uh, operators and Chris and I are volunteer, committed volunteers to 3CR where you get local news. And if you haven't supported uh, 3CR through subscribing or making a donation to the our last month's um, Radiothon, time for a change. Why don't you just pick up the phone and punch through your credit card? Take care. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.